Good afternoon. Life happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. Dr. Mashadi Motlana joins us now on the line. A very good afternoon, Dr. Matlana. Thank you so much for being with us. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure and good afternoon to your listeners. Jeez, Dr. Motlana, from what you are seeing on the ground, just how bad is the situation? By just, I guess, when you measure the number of patients that you are seeing now, two years ago to what you're seeing now, the element of grief and what people are bringing to your practice, how, how bad is it? Oh, Dr. Motlana, are you still there? I think we've lost the line. Okay, we'll try and sort that line out in a minute while we try and sort that out. You can also, you know, give us a call. What is your experience? Are you going through grief at the moment? Um, it's also quite prevalent that, that it's, it's, it's multiplying itself. So sometimes I'm hearing of families where it's not only a loss of one person. Literally, people are going in their numbers in a very short space of time. And how are you managing with that grief? Who, who is supporting you during? this time and I imagine it will be also difficult because we are not interacting in the same way that we used to interact so you know I can't just pop into your house now you know um, for, for obvious reasons so we are not seeing each other as much we are not comforting each other in the way that we used to comfort each other even for those who, who used to rely on churches for instance church gatherings whatever it's no longer happening in that way so how are you coping if you've lost a loved one. Dr. Motlana is back on a better line. Good afternoon, Dr. Motlana. Good afternoon. Okay, uh, let me repeat my question. In the past two years, from what you were dealing with, I suppose, two years ago to what you're seeing now, you know, how how badly has grief affected your patients? I think the grief has been tremendous. Um, there's intense sorrow anxiety, sadness um, caused by multiple losses and it's not just the physical loss of having someone die from COVID but it's also social, you know, people have been going through um, separations, increased divorces Mm. um, because of the circumstance of a living together and relationships that were not working now becoming under tremendous pressure and then also losses due to um, job losses, Mm. occupational. Um, So there's general grief um, in this country and throughout the world from all these multiple losses. So it feels a little bit like it's compounded. So there is grief of me not interacting with my friend. It's as simple as that. As often as I used to, grief of not being in a space where we are communing together, grief of sometimes that loss. When it gets compounded like that, how then do we deal with it? COVID has um, caused us to have to change the ways in which we grieve. Mm. And in the past, um, there were ritual, circumscribed ways in which we would comfort each other, um, you know, attending a funeral, mourning, which had a social sanction, um, you know, funeral rites, tributes. And now these are limited. Now, you know, um, funerals are in line. And if you make the list of people who are able to attend the funeral, you're unable to hug your loved one, unable to touch them. And we know that um, being able to touch releases 
the oxytocin, the feel-good hormones, and that also helps to lift the mood somewhat. And in the absence of all of that, um, some um, individuals also haven't been able to have closure. They can't go to the hospital. They can't say goodbye to their loved ones. Um, so we've been forced um, to really create, either create new rituals or under the pressure of that kind of grief in such short space of time, really struggling with complicated grief and the increased mental health risks that come with it. So when you advise patients um, and you, you were touching on, on touch, which I think is such an important um, uh, way in which we have been able to comfort each other, when in, in the absence of that, which, which has been such a refuge for many of us, how then do we get to navigate supporting one another when we are unable to do exactly that, touch each other? Yes. Um, the most important thing that um, the digital platforms allows us is to stay in touch, stay connected without being in physical touch. And um, I think perhaps it's easier for young people who perhaps their social life have already been more digital and they engage on those digital platforms more often. Um, but if COVID had happened maybe 20 years ago, it would have been even more isolating. But, you know, my recommendation is not to um, lose social contact, but to use um, other uh, digital platforms where you can video call, mm. you can have a voice call. It's never going to be the same as being able to physically touch. Um, you know, but, and whilst we're not in our third wave beard, where the second wave is behind us, we don't know what the future looks like. It's up to us to remain cautious, remain vigilant, and not to expose ourselves. So those kind of platforms allow us contact. And in some ways, um, you know, during the hard lockdowns, um, patients and individuals have reported that they were had more time to be in contact with loved ones, whereas before, they, you know, they were fully occupied commuting to the office and back and didn't have time for that connection or that family time. So we need to utilize whatever we have um, to, to, to help us get through. Um, and platforms like, for example, Facebook, where people can create memorials and, and talk and share and post pictures are important. Um, and so that we have to reconstruct the ways in which we culturally have mourned and grieved and um, connected with each other. The concept of time, where you constantly hear people say, you know, in time it will be better, you'll feel better, you'll learn how to live with it. Does it work for everybody? So within the first three months of um, bereavement, Certain reactions are, are appropriate, you know, um, not being able to sleep, um, ruminating thoughts about the loved one, um, the sadness, um, even feeling that you don't want to live. Um, and that's that's an appropriate um, response. And after the three-month period, those symptoms tend to lift. Um, but it's not the same for everybody. Yeah. Um, some individuals experience a complicated bereavement, which may require medical attention even before the three months are up. And some bereavement may then evolve into a major depressive episode where the person experiences clinical depression. Then to ask your other question, which was your first part of the question, um, do you learn to live with it? Does time help? And certainly indeed, Time does help, but there's no prescribed 
time period. There's mm. no prescribed way of of going through bereavement mm. and grieving. And yes, one learns to live and move forward with the loss. Um, possibly you never, ever um, forget that person. They will always be part of you moving forward. And I think an acknowledgement of that is really important. And we don't speak enough of that because you know uh, after a year or two people are like well you know you should have overcome mm-hmm. it should the time has passed mm-hmm. but it's not so you constantly live with that loss it's just that the intensity of that emotion may diminish there may be triggers with anniversaries christmases birthdays that that may um bring that those symptoms to to the fore and then it subsides again but certainly it's about living the rest of your life with that loss, but hopefully with diminished pain, finding new ways of appreciating that person in your life, being able to smile again when you see their picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's the, the path and journey, the, the mm-hmm. long-term path mm-hmm. and journey. I want to ask that we take a, a short break. And also while we do that, we, we take in those calls, 011-714-2006. The WhatsApp notes can come through on 0614-104-107. Tell us about your grief. Are you managing? Are you coping? Do you need help? Have you seeked help? And and is that helping? The lines are open, as I said, on 011-714-2006. My guest is Dr. Mashadi Motlana, who is a psychiatrist who can do her best in, in her way of answering some of your questions. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. All right, the lines are open. As I said, we're discussing grief with psychiatrist Dr. Mashadi Mutlana. 011-714-2006. I'm going to go to Fats, who's calling from the Northern Cape. Fats, thank you so much for calling in. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pumelo, and uh, your guest. Uh, your, your topic uh, is uh, one has just buried uh, my brother, I think, uh, now in in February, mm-hmm. and uh, I surprisingly he was fine. He was fine in December when we filmed in January, but it's no more. It's no more. And every time I look at his kids and look at his wife, mm-hmm. very tough. It was it was only the three of us. So I'm the second born. Mm-hmm. Now he's gone, meaning I'm the head of the family. And every time I look at those kids, it's very painful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's better when you are at work, you're focusing at work, um, when you get home, you sleep. But during the weekends where you get to spend time on yourself, reflect on things, that's where it has. You, you just don't want to believe that uh, he's gone. But when you are at work, or especially when you begin to... I don't know whether to call them strangers, your 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 colleagues. Mm-hmm. Your colleagues are the people that normally listen to you, engage you. But a lot of times, family members don't actually engage mm-hmm. you. They don't allow you to talk about mm-hmm. this and laugh, talk about bad and good things about uh, the the deceased. Mm-hmm. And the more I feel bad when I talk about mm-hmm. it. We we engage, we we laugh. Sometimes we talk about maybe even those bad things and then he, his entire life but what i've seen is that the, the family members they don't allow the space mm-hmm. for for you to even grieve even when you are crying you have to go hide somewhere mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. cry and then come back strong mm-hmm. and pull strong in front of mm-hmm. their eyes like now for instance with my mom 
I'm actually surprised he's strong. But I had a, a private talk with my father. He's so shattered. Uh, I, I was not aware that mm-hmm. he is that shattered. So that, that's the thing that I'm saying, that with us as families, we, we we don't talk. We don't talk to each other. We don't engage with each other. We die in silence. Sure. Yes. So, yeah. I so recognize that. I so, so recognize that, Dr. Matlana. I mean, this this happens a lot um, in in many families where the pain is so deep that while they're all trying to manage their pain, the the, the unspoken code is to rather not discuss it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, so yeah, that's... uh, that's that's my contribution. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Like you, every time you watch news, uh, I remember when uh, Minister Mutembu passed away. It was like my family member, the way I felt. But mm-hmm. this death coming straight into your family, you really mm-hmm. feel that what I felt when the minister passed was not actually the, the pain you were just feeling for his family and whoever. But now it's in the house and. It's a pain that you cannot put a finger at, you know, like, it's difficult. So we actually arranged for the counseling for the kids and the family. And then I said, no, I'm okay. But I feel like slowly and surely I'm I'm not okay. So I'll, I will have to call them back to say I will need the counseling for me because I don't feel okay. Although I'm posing okay in front of my family members, but I know deep down I'm not okay. Not Yes, I'm here. Um, I, I think that um, um, the caller spoke very um, eloquently mm-hmm. about some of the challenges of bereavement in families where there isn't space um, allowed for crying and for sharing grief. And that um, can contribute to an individual um, experiencing a complicated bereavement. And it's really important um, that we allow space for each other to grieve. And in that, actually, may be able to support each other through the grief. And I'm glad um, um, the call is now going to... Um, I'm sorry, I forgot. It's, it's F, someone? It's FETS, yes. It's FETS. FETS, sorry, pardon, um, is going to um, get assistance with that. Um, and, and reach out because that's the second part. You know, we need to mobilize our resources, whether it's friendships, people around us who we can connect with, and also getting professional help um, is important when we feel that we're, we're actually um, not managing, that it's become a struggle. But as I said, it's also appropriate to feel sadness. We can't medicate grief away. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. and it is important to go through the pain mm-hmm. and to face the pain and to be able to sit with it and 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 be able to work through yeah. it. Um, one of the things I want to bring up um, from this this comment by Fats is that it's also going to be challenging to teach a family that ordinarily doesn't discuss emotion to suddenly do it now. Mm-hmm. You know, so the expectation mm-hmm. there maybe you know, he can get help for himself. But it just may never happen that everybody's on the same page about how to deal with grief and dealing with the emotions <coughs> openly. Absolutely, absolutely. And and for some, it may be that, you know, they, they feel that if they even open that up, 
yeah. they may not be able to cope. Yeah. So as I said, there's no prescription. And even mm. within a family, there are individual needs that mm. need to be catered for. Mm. So insofar as that decided to look for help for himself, it's important. But the fact that he also had individual conversations with his mother, with his father, and there was an opening up, mm-hmm. um, there, there's progress there. And perhaps part of this will be him being able to empower his family mm-hmm. to have those conversations. Thank you so much, Fats, for sharing. Really appreciate it. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, All right. For some, it's harder to to go and confront and accept emotions because there is the fear of, you know, if I open that can of worms, it's just it may be just too much. It may be just too much. How do you, because I, I have a feeling it's necessary, how do you advise people to to go there and accept and allow for the emotions to come through? So um, it, it might be part of um, our modern world mm. where we um, are always wanting to escape our pain, mm-hmm. um, that we don't allow room for disappointments, for um, challenges, for struggles and pain. Um, And so when we are in pain, we take a painkiller, we um, use a substance uh, and we unable to um, process the pain as a result. Um, So so, so, so it's linked to not being able to um, accept. And, And so one of the things that I try to explain and work with with my patients is one you know suffering is a part of life um, and death is as certain as there is life and if you love there will be pain Mm. and grieving is because we love and that acceptance that it will be painful and not to try and run away from that pain by taking something or avoiding because when we avoid the pain it's going to catch up with us at some stage you know a, a delayed uh, grieving reaction or it might manifest in some other disorder so yes you're right some people struggle with that and if it's so then again you know reaching out for help support systems um, a support group these are all things that we can um use as strategies to cope in a in a difficult situation like that. I'll come back with more calls on 011-714-2006 and uh, those voice notes as well on 0614-104-107. I'll take a quick break first and we'll be back with more with Dr. Mashadi Motlana, who is a psychiatrist as we discuss grief. It's one let Let's go to Amanda Machaka for the latest in SABC headlines. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. All right, we are discussing grief with Dr. Mashadi Motlana, and the lines are open, as I said, on 011-714-2006 or WhatsApp notes on 0614-104-107. Uh, Dr. Motlana, let's just take a, a, a few voice notes. Maybe we'll take one at a time. Mashadi, I'm Sylvia. Um, for me, I will say this is a season, it has been a season of grieving from last year where my father passed away my sister passed away in january we started the year when my mom-in-law passed on so yeah it's 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 a terrible moment and the sad part is that people are far apart from each other because of the social distancing and the covid protocols and the like the churches get closed so for me how i cope um, i just mediate in the morning 
I just read the Bible and um, I try to keep in touch with my family as much as I can and as close as I can. And then that's my strategy of getting sustained and healing. Thank you so much for such an interesting, uh, though deep topic. Bye. All right. Dr. Motlana, you want to comment um, on that voice note? Yes, I think um, um, the message is, you know, powerful um, about how difficult it has been for everyone. It's really been a time of collective grieving. Um, And it also touches on some of the adaptation strategies, one that I'd already mentioned about staying in touch, even, you know, if you can't physically be in touch. And secondly, one I hadn't touched on yet, but, you know, um, another coping strategy, adaptive strategy, is really finding space and time for meditation, um, for um, having a place of gratitude, um, for the what you have, the life you have, um, and whether you spend that time in prayer or reading or um, reflecting, um, it's it's a it's an important way of also um, finding ways to to cope in a very um, under difficult circumstances. Another way is also just you know to journal, write down feelings, um, and. And, and try and, you know, when I speak about the gratitude, focus on the positive. It, it has to be something you actively decide to do because clearly when you're in that space, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it, it has to be a commitment mm-hmm. um, to, to your moving forward with the grief. And it, it's not easy. While there are people who are able to, I suppose display grief in a very vivid way. There are are people whose grief can be delayed. I've heard people who say after a year sometimes, only then does it hit them. And and sometimes there's this expectation, you know, you lose your mother, your father, your uncle and whoever. And and we expect to see that in your face. And sometimes we, we are very judgmental about mm-hmm. what we are seeing. And why isn't this person crying? Why isn't this person grieving? Just talk to us about that a bit. Um, I think that there are certain mourning rituals like wearing black mm. and shaving the head that come from ancient times. Mm that maybe aren't that, depending on your, your viewpoint, mm-hmm. um, might even be gender restrictive because, mm-hmm. you know, only one gender usually bears that responsibility. But in some way, some of the morning rituals also allow us to um, have the um, the enfranchisement um, that, that, you know, people come to you because you're in black and you look sad and you're mourning. And when you don't, as you said, when you don't appear or don't decide not to wear black or not appear sad, then there's a judgment attached to it. Um, on the other side, there are those that are also grieving. Maybe, um, you know, a partner who wasn't officially known to the family, they weren't married and now is quietly grieving and not been given the same acknowledgement that direct families members get who are grieving. Mm-hmm. So I'm just talking about ritual mm-hmm. practices mm-hmm. and that. But then again, I I have to emphasize that everybody's journey is different. Mm-hmm. There's no textbook mm-hmm. on how to experience grief. Mm-hmm. There's no textbook on how what or not is appropriate a mourning period. For as a from a psychiatric point of view, 
when we would become um, concerned is when their clinical signs as a major depressive disorder, mm-hmm. so it's not just a delayed reaction, and that person ceases to cope, that they're suicidal, they're mm-hmm. depressed, they've got loss of functioning, whether it's occupational, if there's, it's a child at school, this would be a distinct um, diagnosis from grieving. And so what, what would be appropriate in the first three months, um, if we still see that after six months, then we would, you know, determine or not whether that person needs medical attention. Mm-hmm. But if it's a huge trauma, it may be that that person experiences a post-traumatic stress syndrome mm-hmm. and part, part of PTSD is the numbing mm-hmm. you know because you're just yeah. trying to survive mm-hmm. and what people may misunderstand as a lack of emotion or appropriate sadness as though we were the ones to yeah. judge yeah. in any event yeah. might be a, a, you know that response to the trauma and uh, PTSD occurs six months post an event and longer you can get an acute stress disorder which is a different diagnosis which is a bit earlier mm-hmm. but it might be the enormity of the trauma is what keeps people numb Mm. because they're just in a fight or flight mode and just trying to cope. Let's talk about the survivor's guilt. And and this, I think, comes a a lot um, through with people who've lost children, Um, Mm. you know, where they think, why wasn't it me? You know, no parent should be burying their own child um, or maybe somebody who was with you if it was an incident, you know, and you survive and they don't. How do we support those people? So we, um, from a, my point of view, a medical point of view, um, we'd go through supporting the person through their grief, mm-hmm. but also in terms of therapy, addressing the fact that it's not the, the survivor that's mm-hmm. responsible for those that are lost mm-hmm. and understanding that those guilt feelings is what will keep them from living. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of meaning making has to happen. Um, new meanings, new people have to reset their lives. What are their new intentions? Can they move forward with a different purpose? Because now essentially their lives are not the same. Yeah. This was an only child, now they don't have yeah. a child. Yeah. And so that whole process of what we thought would be is not. And part of it is accepting that the only certainty we actually have is that we will die. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. And nobody is in control of that. But it is an extremely difficult um, area where the guilt is actually um, keeps a person from successfully navigating their grief. Mm-hmm. I, I would like us, because I think as we spoke earlier about community and we are almost experiencing this at the same time, is sometimes where people um, have their own processes and sometimes it's okay to have a good laugh. It's okay to have you know, a moment of pleasure where that does not become a moment for us to judge the Mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. And I think often that comes through where someone feels bad about having a good laugh. Someone feels bad about having a good time in the midst of all of this. How, how, you know, how can we support one another that, that we find uh, some sort of a balance between being okay with having a really good time while everything else is going on? I think the ability to to laugh in the midst of sadness can be adaptive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a coping strategy. Um, it does not mean the person's not going through pain. 
And I think, again, you know, the cultural cues, the cultural sanctions of what's appropriate or not appropriate can either be helpful because there's a sense of community and supporting each other, but it can also be pathological or add to people's pathology for exactly that. You feel judged, you feel you can't be yourself. And yes, in their tears, there's an ability to laugh, to share happy anecdotes, uh, moments, uh, light-hearted moments that you've had with the person you've loved. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And we need to come from a place of respect, love, understanding, and empathy if we're going to be able to support those who are grieving. Mm-hmm. Let's take a voice note, uh, Doc. Good afternoon, Kimelo. Yeah, no, indeed, it's tough to lose a, a loved one. It will always be because you have a life and you have memories that uh, you will cherish uh, with them at, at all the times. What I wanted to ask is, uh, what what exactly does death mean when somebody departs? Where do they go, and uh, what what happens after? Uh, or does it depend on our various beliefs uh, that that we have? And, but I think because if we know what why they left and where they went to, maybe somewhat we might sort of find solace in that. But yeah, it's always tough to lose a person. Thank you. It's not uncommon, is it, Dr. Motlana, where these kinds of questions arise at a time like that, where you ask these very complex um, questions about your own belief systems, philosophy, and all of those, where did they go? Are they still here? You know, why did they leave? You know, they, all of those questions, it's not uncommon. Absolutely not uncommon. But what I find um, is not helpful for patients is when they say, why me? Mm-hmm. Why them? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's helpful or useful because we all are going to go at some point. And one, the one thing that we know is certain is death. And uncertainty is the only certain thing. And so once we accept that, it's a little easier to accept that in the midst of a pandemic, you lose loved ones, as painful as it may be, that's in the midst of a pandemic. So first of all, we need to accept that COVID uh, is an unprecedented time in our lifetimes. And that this is, you know, and it's a collective mourning. But I think tapping into the spiritual realm, if you're a spiritual person, can be helpful in trying to find answers within your context, within your belief system of, you know, how this all relates. If you believe there's an afterlife or you believe there's heaven, that's useful. But I find the question about why me and why this person, and I think that I, I usually find that really also helps patients stay stuck and not being able to move with their grief, move forward with their grief. I, I once had somebody say to me, we also need to find um, space to say we don't have the that, that answer will never come. You know, there will never perhaps be a satisfactory answer to the questions you're asking and, and leave room for that to say, you know, it is what it is, whatever that is. Uh, and absolutely, but we as human beings always um, try to make meaning, mm-hmm. try to make sense and um, of it. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's valid either way to accept that, you know, that that is how life is. Mm-hmm. Or you try and, you know, find other spiritual ways to cope, which can be adapted. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's take I, another I voice note. Uh, my name is Philip. I don't know my problem is that I'm emotional, especially when 
somebody cries and then maybe sharing his or her problem with me. Or it doesn't matter whether it's the funeral of the stranger. Whenever a person cries, I also cry. So I feel weak for that. I don't know how to handle that, but I don't know. I don't know whether it's because I'm weak or it's because maybe... I don't know whether it's a problem that... Uh, can please explain to me what, the, what is that. Thank you very much, Shab. Oh, we need more people like him in the world. <laughs> we need more people like him. Go ahead, Dr. Matlana. Well, he sounds like an empath, that he really feels deeply for the next person. And Mm. yes, that's a beautiful thing. Um, But I don't know enough about, you know, the extent Mm. to which Mm. he feels that he's vulnerable and whether um, something else is going on Mm. in his life. But certainly, um, yes, you're right. We need more people with empathy. And if we were more empathetic and um, and came from a place of love in our interactions with others, then we would be less judgmental, that we would be actually able to be present mm-hmm. in a meaningful way in each other's lives. Rafilwe is calling from Alberton. Good afternoon, Rafilwe. Hi, Pamela. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for calling. I'm good, thanks. Oh, um, Rafilwe, is your, is sorry, your, is just, your radio on? I was on? driving, so okay. I just want to put on my... On just switch off the radio, so sure. I, do, I do apologize. Um, Pamela, I've got a question. I don't know if it's a question or something. I lost my sister two years ago. Mm-hmm. So in a space of five years, I lost four family members, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, sure, I normally don't cry out. So mm-hmm. I lost my dad in Jen, on the 1st of Jen. Mm-hmm. So I... I know I've never cried when my dad passed on. Mm. I only cry when I talk about him. And mm. I feel like I haven't grieved enough because everybody at home feels like I'm the strongest one. So I was supposed to be there for my for my mom. I was supposed to be there for my sister and everyone else. Even when the call came in from the hospital, I was the first one to be called. And I arranged the whole funeral. Believe you me, I don't even, I didn't see my dad's funeral because I was running up and down. Some part of me sometimes tells me that I'll see him. But mm. again, I tell myself that I'm lying because I'm the one who went and identified him as a, as a morgue. So how do one deal with this? Because for me to be at ease, I block everybody that want to talk about him. Mm. And I... I don't know, am I pretending or am I thinking that he's still going to come back or something? Mm. I don't know. I'll tell you what, Rafula, I'm, I'm going to give you a moment, okay? Um, I, I'm going to give you a moment. I'll be back with, with, with uh, Dr. Motana in a short while, but let me just give you that moment. It happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. All right. I, I, I hope Rafilo is feeling a little bit um, better now. Rafilo, we still have Rafilo on the line. Dr. Motlana, just maybe your response to Rafilo. Um, hi, Rafilo. My condolences for your loss. I, I hear and feel your pain. And um, I just had a few thoughts as I was listening to you. Um, one that um, when you don't have a choice and you have to be the one who takes charge because that's the role you play in the family, then, um, you know, that, that's 
kind of the trap that you've fallen into. Perhaps everyone thinks you're the strong one and don't recognize that you need support and perhaps you don't ask for support from what you've said. So it's a double-edged sword. So in order to reach out and get what you need for yourself, um, it, it the, the beginning of your journey will be to recognize your own vulnerability and be able to ask for support and be able to, to cry. But it's not inappropriate to be still tearful when you speak about your father. It was only in January. And um, I think you need to give yourself time. Um, you also, you know, again, um, no judgment on yourself for how you grieve and your own grievings now, which is what we've been talking about earlier. And if you really feel you're not coping through this and that your family is unavailable to you to speak about your own process, then going for grief counseling might also be um, an opportunity for you to work through this. Rafile? I think, yeah, I think I really do need counseling because I don't know. I think I'm just tired of being strong for everyone and it's now time that I need mm. to move on or my life needs to move on and accept that I'll never see my dad again. We were so close, but I, uh, I just yeah. need to accept, yeah. Sure. Wow. Strength to you, Rafilo. Strength to you, my dear. Thank you so much. Brian, you calling from Durban. Good afternoon, Brian. Hi. Uh, good afternoon, Pamela and Hi. Dr. McLana. Yeah, I concur with most of what everybody's been saying. It's really hard. I lost my wife three and a half years ago, and it's all so, so hard. I cry at different things. You, you mm. cry when yeah. you hear of other people losing <laughs> yeah. their loved ones. Yeah. You cry now with Rafila yeah. yeah. losing her dad. It's very, very hard, and I don't think she must think of just moving on, but she's still got to keep her dad, cherish her dad. Mm. Um so, um, yeah, you just can cry at any moment, yeah. odd little things, things that used to irritate you about your wife, your spouse. You know, you, now you treasure those things mm-hmm. if they were mm-hmm. still there. Mm-hmm. Like I used to clean her hair out of the shower plug hole, drain. <laughs> <laughs> and now, right. yeah, now I've let my hair grow long because she, <laughs> she used to cut my hair beautiful. and I clean my own hair out of the plug hole and cry when I do this. Yes. Yeah. Do you do you have a do you talk to her, Brian? I do. I go and talk to her every morning. Pictures on the oh. on the dining room table. Yeah, I do ask her where where she gone and stuff like that. But I also believe she is in there. We're going to meet again one day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is very sore still. Mm-hmm. I've put a picture on my business branding. I put made oh. banners with a picture for my business. Yeah, sure. Dr. Montana? It's it's so tough, yeah. Mm. My daughter's a psychologist, so I've got to, she wants to know how I'm doing and I've got to be strong as well, try and be strong for her, well, strong for my son and daughter because they want to know that I'm doing okay, so I've got to put on a little bit there with them, but i also got to do have nice conversations with them and we cry together sometimes, we pray together about mum, yeah. So it's a long journey. I've, hmm. I've done three grief share courses at uh, different churches. It's a, like a 13-week program. So I've done that three times. You go through different stages of grieving yeah. in, that, um, in that course. 
Thank you for uh, sharing. Sure. Thank you for sharing, Brian. You know, Dr. Uh, Montana, I'm, I'm listening to Brian yeah. say it's the, it's been three years. And yeah. I've, I've been saying this to somebody recently. My gosh, three years is just the other day. That's, yeah. that's my experience. Yeah. Three years is just the other day. It's, it's really yeah. still early days, Brian. Yeah, it is still in a way, yeah. yeah. And so um, when, when you move forward with grief, you will always move forward with the people you love in your heart. So there's never going to be a day when you're not, when they're not present in some way in your life, you know. And so it's also accepting that. And there's no cutoff period. And, um, and, and so, yes, you know, earlier I had said in time, it's learning to live with it, um, as opposed to it's over. This is the defined period. You know, you're not supposed to, uh, you know, the triggers like anniversaries and that. Uh, it will happen even 10 years mm-hmm. later. Um, but it's the extent to which you're able to move forward with your grief and create new memories and new life and new way and adaptation um, that it, that marks whether you're doing okay or not. But, you know, I, I, I think um, the story shared by Brian is beautiful. And yes, it's three years later. It's hard, but he's moving forward with his grief. With his uh, children. Oh, <laughs> Brian, thank you for sharing. Thank you uh, for calling. For really appreciate it. Thanks, 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 Doctor. One Bye-bye. last voice note. I have lost both parents by the age of 14. Being the only child, having gone through life itself, since then, I always thought it will be easier for people to deal with this kind of pain. Even when other people in the family passes away, to me it's normal because I've lost the most closest at a very early age, KJ. Yeah, we never spoke about that, children grieving, um, because I think it's a different dynamic there, isn't it, Dr. Matlana? Um, yes, it is somewhat different, mm. um, especially because uh, I'm not saying invariably, mm-hmm. but um, losing a parent mm. um, before the age of 11 mm. is one of the risk factors related to developing major depressive disorder. Mm. Um, and also children cognitively may not be able to have the same resources as an adult mm-hmm. um, to process um, the loss. Um but it's not invariable that, mm. you know, every child's going to need counseling or that they're not going to cope. But it's important how um, they learn from their family and the people around them to express the grief that they're being given the space and support. Um, and, you know, um, so so it, it is um, difficult. But here's our caller saying that he survived that. So mm. it's not invariable that... Um, there's going to be um, difficulties, but yes, with children, we need to watch because they are at risk and yeah. vulnerable. I, I want to read you this uh, as my parting shot. Um, this really touched me. It says, Pimelo, I lost my mother um, in 2000. Uh, I was 13. And what's bothering this person is that I'm losing the memories, her scent mm. and how she looked. Oh. Um, and this bothers me a lot. How do I hold on to the memories? I've got 30 seconds, literally. <laughs> I would suggest she writes down what she remembers, put together photographs, get stories from aunts, friends, 
you know, and, mm. and recreates uh, a living um, embodiment of her mom. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Madlan. I know that we pulled you out of a, um, you know, a private time. Thank you very, very much for your time. Really appreciate okay. it. And thank you thank as you. well for, for okay. being with us. Dr. Mashadi Madlana is a psychiatrist and uh, that conversation will be available as a podcast. It's two o'clock. Let's go to Amanda Machaka for the latest in SABC.